0: Let's take our Bibles. Please turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14 this morning. What a name! Zabumafu. You think you're reading in Leviticus or something when you come across a name like that, Zabumafu. But it was a leaping lemur, and uh, we were pretty careful what we watch, let our kids watch. But that was one program that was pretty educational, and and I, I I used to have to fight with my wife about that. I said cartoons are not for education, hon. Huh? You're missing the point here. I said, "Let's get back to the Flintstones." Amen. <laughs> so I, uh, but she she was the one that wanted to educate, and, and that was that was a, it was a clean show, it was a good show, and and uh, the kids learned from that. And I got to be honest, I sat with them a few times and watched it a few times myself, and learned a lot. Of, I never knew what a lemur was, and uh, learned a lot about things. But I'm so glad that God can take anybody from any industry and put them in His army and use them for His glory. And so uh, what a wonderful thing, and perhaps one day we'll see some programming for children come out that would encourage them to accept Jesus Christ as Savior from Alan Stewart. It was funny, I was standing there with Pastor Stone and me and, and uh, him, and he says, Alan, he said, I want you to meet Alan. And all three of us were Alans. And he said, what's your middle name? And he said, Robert, Alan Robert. I'm Alan Robert, and Pastor Stone's Robert Allen. So was, uh, we were getting confused real quick, the three of us. So Luke chapter 14 Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. At this point in the Gospels, the Lord Jesus Christ has performed many miracles and changed many lives, the lives of thousands. His message was resonating among the masses, and people were flocking to him. More and more we see that the Lord Jesus Christ is no longer in the cities because of the throngs of people. He must move out into desert places and on hillsides where people by the thousands could come and hear and he would minister to them. This is his year of popularity and God is doing a great work in, in Galilee and his message was one that the people began to see that he was the Messiah They did not understand that Messiah would be cut off as it prophesied in the Old Testament. But they believed he would be the Messiah that would set up their earthly kingdom. He'd be the one that would be the conquering king who would deliver them from Roman oppression. And and, and as much so, he gave the people hope. They gave the people hope. Well, that's something we could use today, isn't it? We find hope gets dangled in front of us and then pulled away. Just leads us another month or two and then it's gone. We find that in a lot of areas of our life. We have hope and we see light at the end of a tunnel and then quickly it disappears. But I want you to tell you something. Perhaps our focus is wrong. If we focus only on Jesus Christ, he will never let us down. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We can always have hope in Jesus. And the people had hope in Christ, even though they did not understand that he would soon go to the cross of Calvary. And as a result, many followed Christ. We read time and time again that he was uh, not able to be in in typical places. And so people would, would lift off the roofs of buildings and lower people down to him. Others would push their way through a crowd just to get to the hem of his garment. He was being thronged, the crowds were growing. And the multitudes surround him daily. If we were there and to observe the situation and understand who he was, we would likely say that Jesus Christ was a great success. Brother Axler, you pastored a long time. If after just a couple years of ministry, you had thousands of people gathered to hear you, you would think, wow. Hopefully we're humble enough to acknowledge that it's not us, but it's the message of Jesus Christ. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that is drawing people to the to the gospel and, and transforming lives. But we would in some sense feel like, hey, things are going very well. This is a successful ministry. This is a ministry that God is well pleased with and he has put his hand upon. And I would say that if we were to observe what is going on in the life of the Lord Jesus at this point in his ministry, we could all say and all agree he is very successful. At least by the world's standards. You see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't bother him too much when he only had a few followers around Galilee. But now the thousands wanted his attention that needed his touch, that wanted to hear his voice, they were becoming increasingly concerned. But it was at that moment that the Lord Jesus Christ did something that goes against any church growth book you'll ever read. If you were to read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, these quotes would not be in there. And yet it's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Notice what it says in verse 25 of Luke chapter 14. And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, So the Lord Jesus Christ is is walking, and all of a sudden he turns around and he looks, and there's a multitude there, and he begins to address the people. And the idea that I get from this passage, and it'll become clear as we read it, the Lord is thinking in his heart, I cannot go one step further. I cannot encourage any of these thousands of people, these multitudes of wondering souls, these ones who are looking for hope, I cannot go one step further until I tell them what they're in for, till I help them understand what a true disciple of Jesus Christ is. And so he turns to the multitude and he says this in verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that we've heard this morning. It has encouraged my heart, but more importantly, we pray that it has praised your name. Lord, we've been reminded of the story of Jesus. Lord, it's that same story that each one who names the name of Christ here today, who believes they have... Put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, it is that same story that each one of us cling to, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and Christ rejected and crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to always focus and revolve around that message. But Lord, we want to go further in our walk with thee. It's important that we are saved, but it's also important that we are disciples, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see this morning the cost of discipleship as the Lord Jesus Christ makes a call to sacrifice. Help us, Lord, we pray. Lord, I need your help, and I pray that you'd fill me with thy Holy Spirit. I surrender to thee. I pray the Spirit of God would help each one of us. And Father, we'll thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, that seems like an odd thing for the Lord Jesus Christ to say. You would think that the Lord Jesus Christ is thrilled about the progress of his ministry. Thousands upon thousands were being changed and coming to him. The Lord Jesus Christ was looking for something more. He wasn't looking for a casual Christianity that simply called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and accepted Christ as their Savior and then sat around and did nothing for the next 40 years. He wasn't looking for people with a lukewarm Christianity. The Lord Jesus Christ understood that he would soon die and then be taken up into the heavens. And he needed some disciples that would carry on the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That would carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. He understood that there would be persecution he understood that many would give their lives for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he turned to the multitudes. And he looked at them, these that were following him, and he said, if any man come after, come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brethren and his sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And three times he would repeat that phrase, he cannot be my disciple. There are some conditions. You know, we read the Ten Commandments and we come to the verse where it says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And we think it's talking about a cuss word. Using his name profanely. And don't get me wrong, I don't think we ought to do that. The Bible says that Esau was profane because he despised even a morsel of bread. The word profane in the Bible means to take that which is high and holy and God has made as right and whole and reduce it to a guttural level. That's why so many cuss words are the opposite of what God has made to be okay. And yet they pervert that word and twist it. And when we profane the name of God... We we consider it to take the name of the Lord God thy God in vain, but I don't believe that's what Scripture is saying. I believe that's still profanity. I think it's still uncalled for. I heard just recently of a preacher out on the East Coast that said, well, nowhere in the Bible are we told uh, not, not to use cuss words. And he, he's talking about different words that are just in our vocation. He says, you know, that's just a socially acceptable thing. And we're No, 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 listen. Uh, Peter stood at a fire one night and he began to use profanity to prove that he did not know Jesus. Your tongue can betray you. And yes, it may be words that we have chosen to be socially acceptable, but when you use those words, you prove that you do not know Jesus, that you're not with him. That's not what I believe when the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. I don't believe that's what it means. Here's what I believe it means. When we call ourselves Christian, take the name of Christ as our last name, we are the bride of Christ. And yet in our behavior and our actions, we act nothing like children of God. We are part of his family. But as many as received him, to them He give power to become the sons of God. We are children of the Most High. And we call ourselves Christian, we call ourselves children of God. But does our behavior betray us? Are we true disciples of Jesus Christ? If I were to get up this morning and say the things that the Lord Jesus Christ said, I would be a cult leader. If any man were to follow me, you must take up your cross and follow me. You must hate your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, and you must follow me. But Jesus Christ is not just any man. He is the God of creation. He is the Christ who died on the cross to save you. So let's notice this morning some things that we see in this passage that mold and shape us into true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was not the only one to speak on this principle. The Apostle Paul said this, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Listen, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be his soldier. So what is a disciple? Number one, we see in the scriptures, verse 27, it is one who carries a cross. One who carries a cross. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross was a symbol of death. I know for years a lot of churches would hesitate to put up a cross, and and we don't we don't uh, put up a cross in, in the same sense that other churches do, or in the sense that maybe the Catholics do, or the, Christ is still on the cross. But Paul, the apostle, said, "I will glory in the cross." It is the preaching of the cross as to them that perish foolishness. And so we want the idea of the cross of Jesus Christ to be central in our thoughts. But friends, make no mistake about it: is a symbol of death. And and we see throughout the Bible this theme that if we're going to be disciple of Christ, we must die to ourselves. Romans chapter twelve and verse one says, "I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A sacrifice is one that sheds its blood." It's one that dies to serve another. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 24 says this, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. the affections and the lusts. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that here henceforth we should not serve sin. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Over and over, we see this theme in the scripture as the Apostle Paul reminds us I die daily. Are we crucified with Christ? There's an old man that should have died the moment you got saved. And we are now new creatures in Christ. The cross is a symbol of death. But notice, secondly, it's a symbol of devotion. Verse 27, the Bible says, And whosoever does not bear his cross, and look what it says next, And come after me. Come after me. The picture here is, in just a short time, the Lord Jesus Christ would pick up a cross, it would be placed upon his shoulders, and he will be walking down those streets of Jerusalem towards his death. And the Lord Jesus Christ is essentially saying to all those that are there, are you willing to follow me? Would you also take up a cross and drag it down the street behind me? I don't believe the Lord Jesus Christ expected for anybody to do that. But he was asking the question hypothetically, are you willing to die for me? Are you willing to die the same death that I would die? We get so caught up in little silly things that really don't matter. We have standards for a Sunday school class or something and we say, well, I just don't like that. I don't want to do that. I can't humble myself. After his resurrection, the Lord Jesus Christ appeared for 40 days. And you remember there was one time Peter and the disciples were out fishing and the Lord was on the seashore and he prepared a little fire of coals it says and he put some fish on the fire shortly after that he yelled out to the disciples have you any meat the scene repeats itself from when he met them earlier on in their lives and they let down their nets again on the other side of the boat and they caught a great and peter stood up and he says my lord and my god And he threw himself into the sea and he swam to shore. And it's that passage that we read that the Lord Jesus Christ says, Peter, lovest thou me? Then feed my sheep. He asked him a second time and Peter, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. He asked him a third time, Peter, you love me? Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love you. He's just making sure. Because the next thing he's about to say after feed my sheep is this. Peter, one day men will carry you where you would not go. This spake he, signifying his death. Peter, I've asked you three times if you love me three times. You said, yes, I love you. Then Peter, know this. You're going to die If you preach the gospel, do you know where we see Peter next? Preaching to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. And just a couple days later, standing before Caiaphas, who condemned Jesus to death, boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ his Lord and Savior. Oh, but I don't like, Pastor, that I gotta wear a tie if I'm in the choir. Really? Peter, you're gonna die. If you serve me, it's the cost of discipleship. I'm not saying ties. I, I, I listen, whatever church we go to, there's, there's something. You can't work at McDonald's without a silly standard. They make you wear a goofy hat, you know, a hairnet. Can you believe that? A hairnet. They'd make me wear one probably. It's silly, silly, silly stuff. And yet we'll do it for a minimum wage. It's a symbol of devotion. Look back at Luke chapter nine, just back a couple pages. Luke chapter nine. Look at verse 57. and it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, "Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest." And Jesus said unto him, "Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not the where to lay his head." He's saying, "If you follow me, there's a cost. It's going to take some devotion. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. He said, Boy, that sounds heartless. Uh, listen, here's what I believe about this passage I don't believe the man's father had died. What he was saying is, My father is old. Let, let me wait until he's gone, and then I will come and serve you. In other words, we have lots of excuses, don't we? We have lots of excuses. Then he says in verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go. Bid them farewell which are at my house. And Jesus said unto him, no man having put his hand at the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. One who carries a cross, we understand it to be a symbol of death and we understand it to be a symbol of devotion. Are we devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? But thirdly, it's a symbol of decision. It's a symbol of decision. It's a choice that we each must make. Are we willing to take our cross? Are we willing to be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we willing to do what it takes to follow him? Look, if you will, in John chapter 6. Turn there quickly. We are, we're going to race to get through the rest of this message. I can sense it already. Luke chapter 6, verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Will you also go away? The Lord Jesus Christ is asking, What am I worth to you? What am I worth to you? Are we willing to take the cross? Are we willing to die the death? Are we willing to be devoted to his cause? Are we willing to make that decision for ourselves? Christ calls each one of us, but we have to decide to follow. Look back in Luke chapter 14, we'll look at another thing about discipleship the more, this morning. First of all, it is one who carries a cross. Number two, it is one who considers the cost. One who considers the cost. Verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient, to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man begin to build... And was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000, or else while the other is a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. Disciple is one who considers the cost. As we look at verse 28, we notice he says... There's a group of people, and he, and he and, and goes to their business sense, and he says, you're intending to build a tower, but don't you sit down and count the cost? Here's the problem today, mostly with modern-day Christianity. We look at the cost of discipleship, and we say, no, I'm not going to get involved at all. Well, that's not what the Lord Jesus Christ is implying here. He's saying you have to decide that you have enough to finish. That you're willing to commit to the long haul. We've had too many friends that have come and they have accepted Christ as Savior. And they've got involved in the local church. And and shortly after they turn back and they follow Christ no more. I remember years ago going, uh, uh, there was a family that had come over to our church. And they had been uh, members at Miracle Baptist Church, now Heritage Baptist Church in Burlington for many, many years under Carson Mitchell. and, and, And then they had moved to Stony Creek and they started coming to our church they weren't there very long, and they moved on. One day, I, years later, I'd walked across the road, and uh, we had bought our church building on Parkdale, and I walked across the street to the car lot there. And there was the father of this family looking at a car, and he had his back to me, and he was talking to the salesman. And the reason I'd gone over is we had allowed them, they'd bring their cars over to our lot. So what they would do, they would plow out our snow for us and then they'd move all their cars to our lot and then they'd plow out theirs. And I thought it was a good deal, good trade. And so I was going over to him and we were just talking about, I just wanted to make sure that he was okay with that arrangement. I didn't want to owe him money or whatever. And so we went over and I just wanted to confirm and, and here was this father talking to him about this car and every second word was the F word, and cuss words. When he had left the church, I was the assistant pastor, and he turned and he went, oh, Pastor Al. And he dropped his head and he says, those words come back very quickly, is what he said. He said he had a problem with his tongue. No, no, he had a problem with his heart. He had a problem with his heart. We have to decide that we want to finish There's no prize in the Bible for not finishing. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. Paul says, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed in John chapter 17, and he said to his father, I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Are we going to be all the way Christians? Are we counting the cost? Are we willing to do what it takes that we might finish well? Will you consider the cost? Will you finish? Number two, will you fight? Verse 31 says, or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that sit, cometh against him with 20,000 or else while the other is a great way off he sendeth an a and desireth conditions of peace. The Bible says we are to earnestly contend for the faith. The Bible says we are to put on the whole armor of God. The Christian disciple is one who is a soldier of Jesus Christ. And there comes a time where we have to stand for truth and we have to fight. Have you counted the cost? Why did so many turn back and follow him no more? Because they counted the cost and they didn't like what they saw. They said, I'm not going to finish the tower and I'm not willing to fight the fight. God is looking for disciples that will follow him and carry their cross. Disciple is one who carries his cross. Disciple is one who considers the cost. Number three, a disciple is one who counts all as lost. Counts all as lost. Verse 33, so likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. You mean I got to sell everything I have? No, no, no. You don't have to sell it, you have to forsake it. You say, what is the difference? It means nothing to you, it's not important. Let me ask you this If everything you owned were to burn up in a fire tonight, would you have the same walk with God tomorrow morning? That's what he's asking here. I understand there's a certain grief associated with that, isn't there? You lose all the baby pictures. and I mean, the memories. I get that. There's a certain amount of wondering, how do we rebuild? Nobody wants to go to war with an insurance company, but that seems like what you have to do to get things taken care of. But is your testimony going to be the same Tomorrow? as it was the day before. Years ago, there was a pastor who started a church in southern Ontario, and I won't use his name because some of you may remember him. He started a church in southern Ontario, and the church took off and grew very quickly. And after a couple of years, there were some folks come into the church, and they came in with some funny doctrines, and they began to spread that around the church, and the pastor didn't know it. And understand the church was only a couple years old, and so a lot of new Christians who hadn't been grounded in certain truths yet. And he was still discipling and teaching them systematically. And and uh, this this thing went around the church. And one Sunday morning at the end of the service, a deacon walked forward. He said, "Pastor, we need to have a meeting." And he said, "The people have decided that we no longer want you as our pastor. We're going to go in a different direction." And we're quite convinced that you're going to stay right where you are, and you won't move with us. And so we've decided we need to get another pastor. In just two years, they already had their own building. God had blessed it and had grown it, but this false prophet got in. And he said, well, I'd like to see that for myself. Let's have a vote right now. And they took a vote, and it was unanimous, the pastor would have to step down. Here's what he did next. He stepped off the platform. He walked down the middle aisle. It was an old United Church building. They had just a just a structure and a door right at the back. And he walked out the back door. He turned to his right. He went to the first house he came to, and people were watching. What is he doing? He knocked on the door of that house, and when the owner answered on Sunday afternoon, he says, I'm starting a church next Sunday here in this community. Would you come? And he went to the next one and he knocked on that door and he says, I'm starting a church in the community next Sunday. Would you come? Would you come hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ? For a lot of us, that would devastate us and think I've just lost my livelihood. I've lost my church family. My kids are going to be devastated and hurt. What did he do? He just stayed the same person. He just kept serving Jesus. You see, God is true to his word. Being a disciple may cost us something, but not being a disciple will cost you far more. I wonder those that turned back and followed him no more in John chapter 6 if they regretted that decision on the day of judgment. The day they died and they stood before God, I wonder how many bowed their head and said, oh, boy, I should, have, I should have kept going. I'm not just suggesting today that they weren't truly saved, but they weren't willing to follow him. There's far more regrets in not being a disciple. It's one who counts all as lost. Philippians chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there, you can. If not, I will read it to you and... Second, here, Philippians chapter 3, the Bible says there in verse 7, But what things were gained to me I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Paul says, I've counted all things but loss, that I might gain the excellence. Listen, it's not wrong to have things, but when things have you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. A true disciple of Jesus Christ is one who carries the cross, one who considers the cost, One who counts all as lost. But let's go back to verse 26 of our text, and here's the most important one. One who covets the Christ. One who seeks Jesus. The Bible says in verse 26 If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. He said, Boy, that's harsh language coming from Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount teaches that if any man hateth his brother, he is guilty of judgment. Hellfire. We're not to hate. But Jesus says, if any man not hate, not his father. The key word there is if. If. He's painting a picture for us. He's saying by comparison, if anybody's going to be my disciple, you ought to love me so much. But people wonder, did they ever really truly love me? <laughs> By comparison, it'll look like they're devoted so much to the Lord Jesus Christ that he has become the very priority in their life. He is the preeminent one. It is one who covets the Christ. Galatians chapter 3 verse 27 says this, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We wear Christ. We are to be conformed, Romans 8 verse 29, to the image of the Son. We're to look more like Jesus every day. We put on Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 3, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Listen, when we, when we put on Christ, we put on some other things. We put on a new man. The Bible says we put on a new coat. I think it's a uniform, if you will. There's something that identifies us with Christ. You know, I got thinking about that thought, a uniform. The uniform can do three things. A uniform distinguishes us. The more we look like Christ, the more we're set apart from the world. We just had a Remembrance Day this past week. I saw a lot of pictures of soldiers and things, and one thing I notice, I'm not very good at noticing the differences in if you were to put up a green uniform on the platform on, on, the, on the screen, I might not be able to say, "Well, that's a, an American Marine or that's a, a, you know a Canadian foot soldier." I, I, could, I may not be able to tell the difference, but there's one thing that distinguishes, it's the flag on the shoulder. Well, that's a Canadian soldier. That's an American soldier. That's a British soldier. You see, a uniform distinguishes. And I know there's a uniqueness a Marine and a, a Navy uh, a pilot or a, a Canadian uh, infantryman, they all have different you know, I get that. But there's a flag that distinguishes for the country. When we name the name of Christ, we are to put on Christ. We are to look like Christ. We are to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it'll look so much like we're no longer part of our old family. We're no longer associated. The the last name that you bore at birth won't matter near as much as representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, when you represent the Lord Jesus Christ well, you represent your family well anyway. You won't have to worry about that. So a uniform distinguishes, but think about this. A uniform can also disguise. A uniform can disguise. I think of some of those uniforms are camouflage. How many of you in here are hunters? Raise your hand. You got camouflage? I I get a kick out of it sometimes because you see, we'll be out, you know, and you'll see hunters at the side of the road and they'll be coming out of the woods and they wear all the camouflage and they wear bright orange so they don't get shot. I think, what are you doing here? (laughs) Don't the deer see the orange? I don't know. (laughs) So, but you see these soldiers wearing that camouflage so they can hide and blend in, right? So they cannot be seen. Are we ashamed of Christ? If we wear the uniform of Christ, we'll stand out. But if we wear the uniform of self, we'll look just like the rest of the world. We won't. We'll just blend in. It'll disguise us. We'll go to a restaurant and it's time to pray. So instead of praying boldly, we drop a napkin on the floor and we say, Lord Jesus Christ, bless this food, in Jesus' name, Amen. We'll just try to hide what we're doing. We're not ashamed of Christ. A uniform can distinguish. A uniform can disguise. A uniform, I thought about this, can also deceive. A uniform can deceive. Do you know that a spy probably doesn't wear his own uniform? He probably wears the uniform of his enemy. The Bible says that evil men sometimes creep in unawares. Sometimes we look like Christians and talk like Christians. But we're deceiving both ourselves and our church family. Lord Jesus Christ is saying, I I need true disciples. Ones who will follow me. Ones who will carry a cross. Ones who will consider the cost. One who will count all as loss. And one who will covet the Christ. Christ. Let me ask you, which uniform are you wearing today? The Bible says there are those who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. They, they form, they look like. But they're really not saved. Can I just ask you today, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Before you can be a disciple, a follower of his, you first must put on Christ. Colossians 3 says we must put on all these other things, but that's simply putting on Christ and acting like him. Humbleness and meekness and all those things, that comes from being Christ-like. Do you know Jesus today? If you're to die today, are you absolutely sure you spend eternity with Christ in heaven? We'd like to help you with that. Let me ask you this, Christian, are you a disciple? disciple is one that follows and carries a cross and is willing to give their very life for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not an easy thing to decide. But I'm going to tell you this. One day we'll all stand before God. Every man shall give himself account of himself before God. And I don't want to say, I wish I would kept going. I wish I hadn't turned back. I wish I just remained a disciple of Jesus Christ every day of my life. Carried my cross and followed you. Let's bow this morning as we stand to our feet. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how good you are. Lord, sometimes we look at being a disciple of Christ and we see a passage like this, and we we look at it as if, as if we're enlisting in an army. And in a sense, we are. We're to be good soldiers of Christ. But Lord, the benefits of the Lord's army of being his disciple far outweigh any earthly army they have eternal reward so father I pray you'd prick our hearts today may the spirit of God encourage us and help us to be true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him wherever he would lead us Lord if there's one today that knows not Christ the Savior, may today be their day of salvation. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if God has spoke to your heart, would you step out and come even now? Maybe there's one say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Heaven or hell, I just don't know. <coughs> Could we help you today? We'll take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life. All I'm asking you to do right now is just slip up your hand to acknowledge I'm lost without Jesus. I need a Savior. And I want to make a decision today to trust Him. And I'm going to pray for you. My prayer will not save you. You can only be saved by putting faith in Jesus Christ yourself and His grace will save you. But I'd like to pray for you today and ask God to help you to understand, to see by His Holy Spirit's power your need of a Savior. And we would be happy to take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life through Jesus Christ. Is there one that would just slip up their hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there one? Maybe there's others that say, You know, Pastor, the cost of discipleship is awful high. Would you pray that God would help me? Oh, we need a revival. And if, I, if I'm reading church growth books, what the Lord Jesus Christ did there <coughs> won't help you grow numerically. Many turned around and went the other way. But it weeded out a lot of people who weren't willing to serve him with their whole lives. Are you one that's willing to carry your cross?